On today's Sherpa Founder Series, we speak with Saul Orwell, successful multimillionaire, self-made by the age of 23. Saul is the founder of examine.com. He's been featured on Men's Health and Fitness Magazine front covers. Saul is a brilliant entrepreneur. Anyone in the startup industry wants to hear his spectacular advice. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. Hey, Sherpa Network. I'm Tess Diaz. Thanks for joining us today. We have Saul Orwell, who is a very tough guy to introduce. Serial entrepreneur, best known for his work at examine.com. Saul, thank you for joining us today from Toronto. How you doing? Uh, first of all, it's my pleasure. Secondly, not so bad. It's been, uh, it's one of those like weeks where it's just downpouring the entire week and I regret my life choices of being an immigrant in Toronto. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure the sun will come out soon and you know, I'll be basking in the Canadian superiority. That's right. I'm starting it off with a bang. But yes, oh, wow. <laughs> Canadian. Well, Tess is actually like kind of Canadian, aren't you? Hundred percent. I am both Canadian and U.S. citizen. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah, glad there's at least fifty percent awesomeness in you. Good to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny you say because I heard that your time. So I'm in Phoenix now. I heard your time in Phoenix. You describe as your lost years. So. Ooh. <laughs> we are starting with a bang. Andrew Rosner, CEO of MediaOptions.com. Thank you for joining us too. You and Saul have a long history, and I think it will be a lot of extra fun to have both of you together. For sure. Drew is not so sure, I guess. So, yeah, no, I, I'm very <laughs> sure, very sure. I think, you know, um, Saul and I have had a lot of sort of close encounters, but we've continuously missed each other um, a, a number of times in, in visits. We've got um, a couple of uh, friends in common, but, but one in particular, Chris Crowther, who was also a um, uh, former business partner of, of each of us, I believe. Um, and, um, uh, that was, I think how we first were introduced, um, yeah. was when I think, Chris uh, was actually, uh, I remember actually this was in Panama and we were in his, uh, condo apartment, whatever you want to call it. And we were on the balcony and you were walking cause it was in Casco Viejo and you were like walking yeah. on the street and I don't know, something was going on. I think Carnival was about to begin. And like, we were just like yelling at each other from like three floors of a different, yeah. I think that was our actual first meeting through Chris was from yes. the street. Yep. I remember wow. that. Sounds a lot of good times from that balcony. I'll tell you that oh, much. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, on that on that balcony, Drew, didn't you say a movie for um, about Pablo Escobar was filmed from your balcony? No, no, no. This is um, that was filmed from our house, um, and we're talking about Chris Crowther's apartment, uh, which is you know two blocks from the house. Very nice. Well, I'm sure that Panama misses you. Uh, Drew would walk around there and he was like the dawn. Like everybody'd come running up, shaking his hand. How you doing? <laughs> well, when I moved there, there was only like, you know, literally less than 10 people who, you know, less than 10 gringos, let's say. Um, uh, gringos being all, you know, Americans, Canadians and Westerners in one lump sum. 
Um, and so, you know, we, and I was there for a decade. So um, it was, you know, we kind of just become known. I was, uh, I was actually going to move to uh, Panama about eight years ago because of people like Chris and you, where it seemed like a pretty casual but relaxed and entertaining life. Um, I just so happened to run into a woman one month before I left. I'd actually given up my lease and everything. And uh, seven years later, here we are still together, and I'm not in Panama. So I, I was going to join that life, but so close. But uh, I think it worked out that it didn't happen. Yeah. You're going to have a misconnection. Better to miss it with Drew than, than with this lovely lady in your life. Exactly, exactly. And like, <laughs> I'm getting enough Drew right now. So, it, you know, it worked out at the end of the day, regardless. So, it, it, it's all good. Drew, I think you need to like rub your head now. <laughs> On the, so, sort of, you know, just getting into it a little bit um, about, you know, for those of our audience who haven't seen the first interview with, with Saul, um, I know that one of my first impressions based on this sort of mythical figure that um, Chris had painted me, um, you know, he, he, Chris, I think, you know, holds you in a very high regard as uh, you probably do him. And um, when Chris was explaining his buddy Saul, who was, you know, this really cool entrepreneur guy doing all these different cool things and not just all these different cool things, but doing them in a really cool way. And it was kind of the first, my first um, encounter with the concept of digital nomad, whether you still, you know, um, agree with or adopt or, or like that moniker. Um, uh, you know, I, I haven't found a better one. And I think you and I both sort of share the dope digital nomad lifestyle. Um, and, uh, but I think you were kind of, I mean, okay, yes, I sort of, given up my life and moved to Panama and starting a, a digital business. And so I, I fit the bill, but you were doing it successfully already. And I was just getting started at that time. So, um, you know, you were kind of my first introduction into that. And, and, you know, the way that Chris was sort of describing your lifestyle to me, I was like, shit, I want to do that. Like, that's how I, you know, um, that's how I want to make my business because Saul's like on vacation three or four or five months a year. And, you know, works like, uh, you know, he's like, you're, you're like the, the, uh, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The poster it? Symbol, boy of a four hour work week. Exactly. exactly. If I wasn't so, so milk chocolatey, you see me blushing right now. My God, please continue. <laughs> please continue. <laughs> so yeah, that concept of like lifestyle design hmm. that you can't just make the decision to do it differently than everybody else is doing it. Um, you know, you were kind of, you know, I have a horrible memory, but um, probably one of, if not the first person that I sort of came to know in close contact um, that. Drew's cutting out a little, but what he's saying is you were the first one to actually do it even before it was cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if I can uh, explain a little bit of this. Um, so it, it's funny, right? When we look back in hindsight to just give, give a context to people. We're talking about like 10 years ago when uh, we yeah. first met each other in Panama, roughly around then. Um, back then, first of all, digital nomadism was still relatively new. It's very trendy and yeah. in vogue today, right? Everyone's doing these yoga retreats and all that kind of stuff even. Um, and also back then, if you had a business, if you're an entrepreneur, your only goal was to make money. 
and there's nothing wrong with that but i used to tell people like oh you know you know i have a business and i'm enjoying myself and people would say like they didn't understand that context of like a lifestyle business right or 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 being like i don't need to maximize money uh, even the more famous one was definitely 37 signals with base camp and whatnot, where yeah. they were like, ah, money's not everything we need to make. And people were like, what is wrong with you? Um, but yeah. the truth for me, um, it, it's interesting. It wasn't like, it wasn't serendipitous or anything like that. Uh, I'm an immigrant. I'm ethnically uh, Kashmiri, which was Pakistan and India keep fighting over. Um, mm -hmm. and I was born in Pakistan and my dad worked for a Saudi petrochemical company. And when he joined, he joined as a Pakistani citizen. And as a Pakistani citizen, he could only get promoted until manager. Now, if he had joined as a Western citizen, he could become general manager. So when we became Canadians, my dad was still working for the same company. He applied to become a general manager and they're like, nope, you came to us as a Pakistani, you'll always be a Pakistani to us. And yeah. that was the, one of the most absurd things I'd ever heard of. I'm like, how does his birth have anything to do with any of his talents, right? We talk about yeah, meritocracy, sure. I was like, this makes no sense. And so to me, entrepreneurship and like we talk about lifestyle business, all of it to me was just, I want to be independent. I didn't want to be famous, right? I didn't want to be the brand. I didn't want to be the person. Um, in fact, I think Drew, when we met, uh, I had my original name. I legally changed my name because I didn't get to change it. Like that's how independent minded I am. So uh, yeah. like I look back and it was like, oh, you know, you were so smart. You needed to do this or like you weren't focused over money. Nah, it was more just, I wanted to be left alone. And uh, I was a fat shy nerd. I had a computer engineering degree and I was able to figure out some online stuff that worked for me. And I was like, awesome. I'm making some money. I'm living the life. Why should I stress myself out? When thankfully I also didn't have any like and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but like expensive tastes, right? I didn't drink alcohol at the time. I didn't really care about yeah. fast cars, big houses, whatever. So it afforded me the ability to be well, like, all right, instead I'm just going to bum around and live uh, wherever I want. And it worked yeah, out. I, 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 you know, I think that sums up a lot of what I've sort of respected about you. Aside from being, you know, a first mover in this, what is now, like you said, super trendy, super popular. You know, it's like what everybody strives to do. Not everybody, but uh, you know, sure. A lot of people are striving for it. The dream, um, but it's it's it comes down to the simple fact that you know you were valuing um, two things above everything else, and that was experiences and time. And um, you know, ultimately, time I think is is the most valuable underlying currency of everything today. But people don't see it for what it is, and um, you were you know, putting time is the highest value uh, commodity you had and valuing experiences over material things. Um, and it's funny how that works when you value your experiences, um, it puts you in positions to earn more money because you just simply experience more things, understand more things, understand more people and more cultures. And the more you know, the more you know, the more you can Yeah, you know, there's it's it's interesting right we we talk a lot about especially nowadays online when it's personal brands we talk a lot about like superpowers like what are you the best at uh but the reality of it and is that the smartest people i think or the most successful people and there's studies that show this too uh, are the ones that have the most varied interests because the real yeah. like one of my favorite examples is um Ooh, I'm going to butcher this example, but I, I hope uh, it elucidates what I'm trying to get at. Uh, basically, there's this disease um, where uh, your body starts slowly like killing itself. And one of the ways to treat it that's 
very experimental and most people don't know, is essentially you irradiate the hell out of the body so it kills all the white blood cells, which is what's kind of uh, corrupted. Um, and you need to be put in one of those bubbles and, and you need to let you need to re-inject with um, white blood cells that have been created out of your stem cells, out of your bone marrow. Um, and those are two completely different um, disciplines of medicine, right? One of them is disease and the other one is the actual radiation. And then the other one is uh, the creation of the white blood cells. Um, and unless you know all three, that is not an option. And so most doctors don't know because they're so focused on being an anesthesiologist, being a radiologist, that they don't understand, wait a minute, we could do this and then this. So I think that's, the, that's a, one of the downsides of, of the internet today is we're so focused on only one thing or maybe two things that it's the breath um, that gives you the ability to go deep in interesting ways. Um, you know, polymath has a call today, Renaissance man's back in the day. Uh, yeah. Without that interdisciplinary uh, approach, um, you kind of just become an echo chamber and it's almost becomes like a, a circle jerk at the end of the day because you're just sharing the same information, just uh, drilling deeper and deeper into the same hole instead of uh, widening the hole. So now as to today's media. <laughs> <laughs> but Saul, you know what you're saying? I see that you've set up the structure where you can do that. Not only yourself to support your varied interests, and, um, but also um, by surrounding yourself with people whom you trust to delegate your business to and who have, um, you know, varied areas of expertise themselves. And um, I know at least many years ago you had or you said that many years ago you actually paid your number two guy more than you paid yourself um, sure. because that enabled you to travel, live the lifestyle you wanted, but also to pursue expanding your vision. Um, do you still see things that way? Did you do that at the time because you thought it was a brilliant business move or just because you were super young, like 23 and ready to retire? Um, definitely the more you it that way or it just happened and you realized that was brilliant. So uh, <laughs> on the first uh, level of it, um, I think a lot of, uh, you know, we talk about like the, you're the average of the five friends around you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think the same stuff applies to anything you consume. Um, and my easiest example is books, right? Like people will be like, oh yeah, you have access to A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Of course you know this stuff. Uh, one of my favorite examples is Leonardo da Vinci's uh, diary. They, they, you know, they were looking through it. And basically like 80% of his day was go to talk to expert X about X, go to expert Y about Y, go to expert Z about Z. So you, sometimes you look at this and, and you reverse engineer and you're like, man, I don't have access to all these experts. But also it depends on what kind of books you're reading. Like right now I'm reading, I usually read like three to five books simultaneously. So I'm reading one about like history, which is uh, by uh, he's a, a Pulitzer Prize winner, Will Durant. I'm reading a book about building science. Uh, I'm reading a book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is just now a Netflix documentary uh, that just yeah. came out. Um, I'm reading a book on uh, fiction. Um, so the idea is that it's not just about the people around you, right? If you're disseminating information from different sources, you start seeing uh, the links. In regards to then, you know, having, paying your number two more than me, uh, I got to be honest, I am a bleeding heart uh, uh, progressive kind of thing where I'm like, yo, the guy is working harder than me. Yeah, I founded it, but he's putting in all the hard work. I own the company, so I can do whatever I want when I want. But if he's the one, or she obviously in this case, is the one running it and has a headache, why the hell am I thinking I'm so important that I should be paid 100x or whatever, right? The ridiculousness of it. The other part of it too is though is, 
if we treat the business as an asset, uh, similar to like a real estate vehicle, uh, then it makes more sense to put money into the asset and appreciate the value because it'll be much faster and stronger than, you know, real estate itself, ETFs, uh, you know, um, uh, index stock, whatever. So to me, it was like, okay, if I'm making enough money to do what I want, at no point am I struggling like, oh man, I wish I could do this. Oh man, I wish I could do that. Um, why not? Uh, as an example, like I'm about to go on a trip uh, for a month. It's a pretty expensive trip relatively, but at no point did I have to like take extra money out, right? At no point did I have to struggle. Like being an adult includes saving for money, planning for the future, that kind of stuff. So it was more just uh, an approach of let's be responsible. And what's been awesome for me is if there's one thing I'm proud of is my employee turnover is almost zero basically because one, I let them get them famous, right? If there's a quote in a magazine or newspaper, they can get quoted. Well, like, I'm not the expert. Um, and two, they know I'm not just some guy who is making a ton of money off their back. Instead, I'm like, let's build this together. Let's uh, compensate you accordingly. Um, and we're good. Uh, just, as an example, I was just reading, I don't want to make it political, but I was reading this uh, GQ, the latest GQ magazine. They were talking about uh, a woman who's a transgender lady who's running for uh, governorship in uh, Vermont or Maine, Vermont, I think. And she was the CEO of the second largest energy company. And she paid herself $30,000 more than, you know, the next highest paid person. And to me, I was like, 30,000 is a lot, but it's not a lot in the current day and age. So why not? Yeah, she's the boss. Yeah, she makes more money. But does she really deserve, and this is an argument we can have later, whatever. But like, does she really need a million dollars a year more? Because why? So that's always been my approach is like, man, we're in this as a team. We're going to work on this as a team. But it, it just seems weird when the compensation is heavily skewed into uh, one direction than the other. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I hear you say it because I've uh, um, in some of the podcasts I listened to saw uh, saw where you've spoken before. Um, you've said that um, your employees have essentially, you know, they've built their own um, personal brands, so to speak. Um, their own names are recognized. They've been quoted and referenced. Um, and that is, so that to you, you treat them like an asset that is appreciating. And then what's most interesting is that they don't leave, that they, um, you know, I heard you say, uh, um, certainly, you know, there's a loyalty that's built because you've For sure. built them to this level and there's a real partnership in that. But also, um, they'll never get as large an audience as they get at examine would sure. if you didn't have such a large so for another entrepreneur who's listening mm -hmm. to this right mm -hmm. if they don't have such a large audience besides your you know personal values of how you want to treat people on on a business level would you still advise that uh yeah because here's the thing uh, you know, examine.com is big now. We can push weight, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but to me, it's, it's basically a mutually beneficial relationship. So in the context of examine.com, the emails that go out, the front man is Kamal Patel. Everyone thinks he owns the company. You go to the about page, he's the first person listed. You, in fact, you scroll down the about page, I'm like way near the bottom, like director of strategy or some, some whatever the hell, right? You're like, oh, this guy's an idiot, who cares? Um, it's, it's these little things that signal to your employees or your founders, whatever you, however you've set it up, um, that it's not about me, 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 which is a lot of the time what happens in such organizations. The other side of it too, though, is like, if I can just interject though for one second, yeah. like, so I'm the antithesis of that, or uh -huh. I have been in the building of, of, of our business. 
um, where, you know, I was horrible at delegating and I'm getting gradually better. Um, and I, unfortunately, I built the whole organization around me. And so while that has had its benefits as we were growing, we're now at a point where um, the company is not me anymore. And, um, you know, I am just one cog in the wheel of commerce here. And so, um, but as far as like the general public believes and the, uh, the, the industry, um, it's like media options, Andrew Rosner, Andrew Rosner, media options, one and the same. And that's not only not true, but it's not the effect or the aesthetic that I want in any way whatsoever. Um, it's also not true. So um, that helped me grow in a lean and, and efficient way, um, obviously much slower than we could have grown. Um, but it got me to a place where now I have to reverse a lot of that. And that's there's, hard to do. There's benefits to both, right? Like it's easier yes. to build an organization around your own name because it's you, right? The people will connect with an individual much more easily than they'll con connect with a company. Uh, the downside, totally. as you've obviously experienced, is it, it's a much bigger headache. But um, the way – so one thing I just wanted to go on a tangent on delegation, and I've been kind of obsessed with this idea. Yeah. Uh, my friend Wes Cow, who was basically director of special projects for Seth Godin, she was like behind the ideation, creation of Alt MBA, all that stuff. Um, she has basically like three levels of employees. Uh, there's the first ones who give you insight. They're like, hey, there's a problem here. I'm like, cool, that doesn't help me at all. Uh, second level is they come in with insights and they give you recommendations. And they're like, oh, these are our options. Now, on the face of it, this looks like the right way to do it, but it's also terrible because the employee is not taking any ownership of the problem, right? They're, they're, you are still basically have the stress of being the one who picks the thing. Uh, and then the third level to go for is assertion where the employee goes like, here's the, prob uh, here's the problem, here's things we could do, we should do this one because A, B, C, D. Now they're vested yeah. into the organization. And the reason I mention this, because it loops back to uh, what was being asked is, you know, it's a lot of like loyalty or employee appreciation is what can you do for them that they may not normally be able to do. So a level of that, for example, is uh, I've wrapped for season tickets. So I will give them randomly here and there to my employees. Uh, the cookie off, that is something unparalleled that no one has access to that they all get access to. And not just they all get access to it, but they can then go freely talk to anyone who's at the event. Uh, a friend of mine is doing like a care package for uh, the homeless for wintertime. Obviously, Toronto winters are a little bit intense. Um, and so I asked around, I'm like, hey, where can I buy some wholesale supplies? And I had a bunch of friends refer me to someone else. So it's not just about, hey, man, the company is going to build your brand. It's like, hey, man, I'm going to help you do what you're trying to do. And you're trying to do isn't necessarily just on the professional side. It's like what matters to you personally, right? What is the stuff uh, that's important? For example, Kamal's a big NBA fan, and I love the NBA. Him and I argue about the NBA all the time. I've written him off multiple times where he was like, yeah. You know I used to work for the Boston Celtics, right? Oh, no, I didn't. Shit. We got a, yeah. that's a, that's a separate conversation. doesn't matter. The rappers are going to kick Celtics ass this year. Anywho. So, you know, enjoy that. Uh, field. Zero. There's, there's, uh, there's a 0% chance of that. But, you know. <laughs> but it's that's that kind right. of stuff, right? It's people always think like, Oh, you're going to make them famous. No, it's even something simple as following a journalist on Twitter. And if they're like, Hey, I'm looking for a quote on this. You're like, Oh man, you should talk to my employee. Um, that kind of stuff. They, they, all someone really wants to know in this entire world for everything 
is does someone have my back, right? Do I feel appreciated? And the way I show appreciation is in these ways. You may show them in a different way. You may show them in a different way. Um, it just to each their own. And as long as people feel appreciated, um, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, they'll work for less money. They'll work for harder out uh, for longer hours. But they're doing it because they feel like it's giving some value to their life. And I'm not saying this is a form of lip service. I'm not saying, haha, you can employ, uh, manipulate employees. It's more if it aligns with who they are and aligns with what you're doing. My God, yeah. like, things become a hundred x easier uh, to do. When yep. we last thing, when we uh, we had a hiring call about two years ago on examine.com, we had over five hundred PhDs apply for one position because wow, reputation and all that kind of stuff. But they all knew, like, hey man, no one ever leaves. Right? Once they're yeah. into the damn ecosystem, they're stuck with examine. There's gotta be something going on. People talk the, the cookie up, blah blah blah. Yeah. So. Um, that's kind of my viewpoint on that is it, it just makes your life easier if your employees know they have or you have their back. Uh, internally, you may have to yell at them. You may have to scold them. You might have to pull them, man, I'm disappointed in this. I expect it better from you because that always hurts me more. Uh, but publicly, I will fiercely protect any and all employees against anybody, even if my employees are wrong. I will still, they know that I will like have their back just because that's that's how it works. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great model. And uh, in a nutshell, it sounds like you're saying appreciate your employees and their value to you will appreciate. Oh. For sure. Um, For sure. Now, also, you know, you keep it very lean. Uh, oh, no pun intended with your, you know, business being about fitness. But um, you sell three products. Is that yes. still accurate? Three. Correct. And time, you yes. have uh, brought in eight figures of revenue over Correct. the years. Yes. Um, how? Why? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, this is the best part of the internet though, right? Is uh, revenue is just a function of uh, products or selling and distribution of the products. So we may have three products and we actually have like two or three coming out next year. Admittedly, considering we're almost eight years old, three products is a very, very, very low number and the market is demanding a lot of things from us. Um, but at the end of the day, right, a digital product is pure margins. Um, you simply figure out what value someone ascribes to what you're offering. Uh, and then distribution is the other key part. So in our context, uh, we are pretty much the only organization that analyzes supplement research that's not selling supplements. So it's not just us selling it, right? It's everyone else in the fitness industry, in the nutrition industry. Um, they know that one, we're reliable, but most importantly, they know we don't do coaching. And because we don't do coaching, they know we're not going to try to steal any of their clients. So if they send them to examine.com or if they're like, hey, buy examine.com's guide, they know all that's going to happen is someone will buy our product and that's it, right? No registration, yeah. no nutritionist, no personal trainer. Nobody has to worry about losing a customer to us. So you see how basically how to play nice with others. This, and again, comes back in, in what I'm hearing is relationships. Within the fitness industry and you don't do any affiliate links, Correct. any paid, um, anything, um, but you have relationships with these vendors, service providers, and they all refer to you instead of someone else because you have the content, the expertise, the unbiased opinions, and that's it. You're not yeah. taking so, their pie. A few things there. Um, 
One of them is there's so much money online that you just need to make like 0.001% and you're pretty damn wealthy right off the bat. Like the amount of money, like what is it? 450 billion now is just online US retail alone. Like you don't need to get much of a marketplace to make a lot of money. You don't need a big Um, slice of the pie. Exactly. It's a huge, the pie is like, you cannot fathom how giant this pie is. That's a big cookie. That's a big cookie. Yeah, it's, it's, ooh, it, is, it is a deliciously big cookie. Um, the other side of it too, though, is, is when you think about it from their perspective, um, they want to have like trusted partners. And part of the trust is that I'm very blunt about everything. I'm like, listen, this is what we're selling. This is how much we charge. This is how much we'll give as a fill fee. By the way, we don't link to anybody. We don't do, promote anyone else. By setting the relationship off the bat, there's no confusion. They know exactly what they're going to get. They know exactly what to expect. Um, I actually have a page on my own personal uh, blog, and examine.com is the same policy, where I basically say, don't send me anything. Like, anytime people ask me for my address, like, oh, I want to send you a gift, I want to send you this, I literally send them the link, and it basically says, I don't do testimonials, I don't vouch, I don't recommend anybody, I'll do some random recommendations because I just like someone's stuff. Here's my address, but don't send me anything. And if you do send me, like, a book or anything, I'm not even going to like, uh, I'm not even going to like donate your book. I'm just going to recycle that book. Don't give it to me. So it's part of that, like that reputation when we're talking about the network. People know Saul is this like uptight ass, but his team does proper research. So we feel comfortable recommending it. And also we know not to bother asking him for any kind of quid pro quo because we know he's going to say no. And you're going to be like, wait, this one sided, yeah. whatever. And he's going to be like, listen, man, there's no one like us. You can send your employees or patients or whatever clients wherever you want. Yeah, that's that's your decision. So that's kind of our. Uh, it's almost a very take it or leave it. But I'm a big believer in saying no, and this is an extension of of that right there. No, that's really yeah. cool. I, I, um, I, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm I'm every day more and more a believer and subscriber to the principle of no. Um, every day increasingly more. Um, I want to take this back to domain names. So you talked about, you know, you just mentioned your personal blog. Yeah. You've got a phenomenal domain name on the personal blog with SKO.com. Um, you've got a phenomenal domain name with examine, with examine.com. Um, I think you own a few other domain names. I think pet.org. I don't know if you've flown that or not. Yeah, that was going to um, be my next project. I, I, okay. And I know you had some others. I don't. I don't recall. But you know, I, I've heard of some from past discussions. And yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what's public knowledge. I know you mentioned pet on another podcast, so I thought I could say it. Um, so, but talk to us uh, about your domains. I mean, or Tess, yeah, I don't know if you sure. have a specific question. I, yeah, I got but some specific questions for you. Okay. Um, so, um, first of all, Saul, you have so many really amazing accomplishments that every time that I listen to a podcast, there's like, oh, there's one that says you were 15 when you graduated college. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's not true, but let's Just say, checking. why not? Okay. I'll send you that link. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so after you were 15 and graduated college and a millionaire, um, um, at 15, um, you, um, like basically it's a, you know, you started out, you were online gaming, you moved a lot, um, online gaming, what kid doesn't like, and then you started figuring out selling virtual currency, right? Yep. And then it's like, blah, blah, there were some successes, some failures, and here are these other amazing things, you know, your local search, um, right. 
your examine.com. Um, but in the middle there, there's always this like part of, it doesn't even get its own full sentence that you were really into domaining for a short while. Were yeah. you trying to, what were you doing? Were you trying to, what were you doing? Okay. Um, were you trying to flip domains? Were you just domain investing? What I know that now you hold around a hundred domains. Like, did you have 5,000 domains at a time? Tell us that story. However brief sure. that time was. So what originally happened was so I was in virtual currency online games, right? So EverQuest had EverQuest Platinum, World of Warcraft had Wild Gold, all these kind of, those are the currency names. And so in like 2001 is when we started playing the SEO game. Uh, and like 2002, Google was kind of already ascendant. And the way Google worked at the time was once a month, it would update rankings. That was it. Otherwise, they were static. And so if you were ranked well for that one month, like you could make a lot of money. And we realized that one of the things that Google cared a lot about at the time was the name of the website, right? Because those were the, the links you were getting. And that's when I was like, okay, if I'm trying to rank high for EverQuest Platinum, why don't I just buy everquestplatinum.com and build a website on it? Like it's so rudimentary. So that's how I originally got into domain names. And what started happening was um, we started acquiring like the short form and the currency names. So what I mean by that is there was a game called Matrix Online. It was MXO.com. So we had MX. Uh, so we had, sorry, it was called MXO. So we bought MXO.com. There was Final Fantasy XI. So we got FFXI.com. Um, and then there was the currency ones. Actually, our aforementioned friend Chris owned WildGold.com because you know that was the big currency there. So EQ Platinum. All of them. Yeah. That's how we got started. So that's how I originally got started. And for me, everything is like, ooh, what kind of edge case can I take it to? So when I heard about domain names, I'm like, cool, let's just see what's going on. And that's how I ran into DN Forum, like in 2002, 2003, I don't even know, all the numbers are vague. And originally I was like, cool, like, you know, uh, domain names were hot, then they kind of died and maybe they're coming back. You know, let's buy a few. So the best one I had was beat.com, B-E-A-T. Um, I had like webmaster.org and a few other ones. And I don't know what I was doing. So webmaster.org, I started developing into a website. Um, beat.com, I was like, oh, let's see how much we can sell it for. Um, we flipped it for 100% in six months. Um, but I am not the kind of person who likes stuff like flipping. Uh, it's too stressful for me to each their own, right? For me, I'm like, man, I've got this asset now I got to sell it for more and I got to find out where to sell it. Or if you're trying to buy, you got to go find and harass people or call them. I'm like, man, I'm on the internet cause I don't want to call people. You got to like, like I'm yeah. good with follow-ups, but you got to be a little bit persistent. So I was like, ah, this seems like a lot of effort. So that so, was like, sorry, the, let me just, for one yeah. second. Sorry. Sorry. I am that guy. Just, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, so that is, that is who um, you are. That is who I am. So you make a very good point about you, you know being flipping assets is is not it's not your cup of tea, and um, I think that's a really important point that a lot of our audience um, unfortunately misses. And I know that because of comments and emails that we get. Um, there are probably three different camps of of sort of high level entrepreneurs, in my experience, and. One of one camp is like deal makers, like like me. So for me, there's like virtually zero stress and only enjoyment in the hunting for the deal, buying something that you feel is undervalued, and then either proactively trying to sell it or simply sitting on it and waiting until you know the market um, appreciates to the value that you recognized in the beginning. And then there's the camp of um, like 
I don't even know what the second camp, I don't know what to call it, but the people who are like the coordinators, they love to, they're the, they're the glue. And they uh, love to bring together all of the pieces. And then there's the builders. And those are the people like you that just, they want to build something. I want to, you know, I've got an idea, I've got a brand, and I want to build a business on it. I have no interest in selling it. I'm just looking to just build this thing. And so those are three very distinct camps of, of entrepreneurs at a very high level. And uh, it's really important to recognize which camp you fit into. Yes. Because if you're a builder and you're out there trying to be a domain speculator, well, you're going to run into problems because the two mindsets are, are they're not, they don't align very well. And, and I have friends, um, like my friend Franz, who's also been on here, also lives in Panama, Dutch guy, you know, very, very successful in lead gen um, and uh, uh, the owner of px.com. And, uh, you know, he's tried his hand being a domain flipper, but it, it stresses him out. And by the time he gets it, he's already tired. He's like, I want to just sell it because I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And yep. I'm like, well, I've got, you know, 5,000 domains that I've got no idea what I'm going to do with. I have no intention of doing anything with them. I just know that I bought them undervalued and, you know, it gives me, you know, comfort knowing that I've got all these assets that are undervalued. Um, For sure. But uh, knowing which into is so critical in order to make good decisions so you were young in your early 20s you dabbled and you figured out you're a builder but your time in domains gave you some insight into what domains to build on yeah for sure to maximize your um your effort right for sure if, if i'm if i'm to be a little bit honest and mean about people in the domain space there's great delusions of grandeur it, it blows my mind how much people overvalue their own assets it, it's it's honestly mind-boggling like what i pay like you'll see the exact same domain name but someone else owns it and like man i wouldn't pay 100 bucks for it and then when some you're trying to say like man i want at least ten thousand dollars for it for me uh the domain name was just uh an extension of how memorable are you uh, online, especially memorable, being memorable is very, very important. So, you know, we could have done examinesupplements.com. We could have done supplementresearch.com. Uh, Nat Cohen, actually, he owns uh, or owned a supplement. I don't know if I can say this, but it's already out. Uh, <laughs> supplement.com. Uh, you know, we, we had a lot of options of what we could have gone after, but uh, examine was just a very easy to remember domain name. So, uh, sorry, going back. So, sorry, you know, I tried correctly. To... I think I actually inquired about the name from that for you. <laughs> oh, there we go. Via Chris. I think Chris asked me to look into it for you. What is forward? I love how, how, how everything's uh, interconnected. Um, yeah. yeah. So I tried the speculation thing and it was just a hassle to like the domain name. Then you also have to worry about like escrow is someone to steal your domain name, all these, like, especially the international headaches. I was like, man, I don't need this in my life. Um, and so instead what I decided was, I think actually if, if I've ever said this when most people don't know this, uh, I was like, you know what, I want to go, I want to retire to New Zealand. I want to go retire to New Zealand. You know what? I'd like to have a few like New Zealand websites. I'm like, all right, if I'm going to have New Zealand websites, I should just buy some New Zealand domain names. So I went out and I bought like movies.co.nz, uh, I think sports.co.nz, news, I can't remember, s.co.nz, q.co.nz, lawyer, lawyers, attorneys, that kind of stuff, with the idea eventually being I'm going to build something. So for me, domain names went from, ooh, this is something to rank higher with, to ooh, this is a, like an appreciable asset like real estate, to ooh, I want to only buy domain names that I would like to eventually build upon. 
Um, at this time, my number two was an American in the Philippines. So uh, we also bought uh, a lot of Filipino domain names. Uh, we lucked out that the biggest um, or like the main company that owned some of the top domain names from like the mid 90s, computers.com.ph, sex, books, uh, education, business, real estate, all of them. Uh, they were, I don't know if they were divesting or they're going under. So we bought all their uh, top domain names. Um, so I still have these Filipino domain names. Um, I still have these New Zealand domain names, but all the non CCTLD of those two, it more just became like, Hey, I'm actually going to build something on this. Um, so for example, my next project is meant to be pets. Like four years ago or three years ago, I bought petscience.com. Um, and then pet.org came up and I was like, Ooh, that's such a cooler domain name. Let me buy that one. So I bought pet.org. So to me, yeah, domain names were, uh, just, and what's really interesting, especially in the tech space, you know, for example, in the early 2000s, Flickr was huge, right? But it didn't have that E. So being able to tell people, yeah, man, I own webmaster.org. And they're like, how do you spell webmaster? I'm like, I don't know. Is the actual word you weirdo, uh, or examine.com, <laughs> any of those, uh, you can tell people are like, Oh, okay. And I've had this so many times. I've had over a hundred people tell me like, how do you spell examine? I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you spell examine? Like, did you not go to grade school? But obviously, you know, they're thinking like there's no E or there's like three X's or some, that'd be a porn site. There's two yeah. X's or whatever's going on. Um, so that's always been nice also. Um, and the other last component of it is if you want to rank high in Google, truly rank high right now, uh, authority matters. And the best way to get authority is to get it from the mainstream media. Right. If you get a link from New York Times, Washington Post, whatever, it's a lot easier to rank high. And if you go to a journalist and you're like, hi, I'm from myshittydomain.com or .co.in or whatever versus hi, I'm from sjo.com, automatically, we talked about heuristics a little bit, automatically they're like, wait a minute, this person, person must be serious and or real because totally. that's obviously not a garbage domain name. Um, so I'm even more, I actually wrote an article maybe a year ago about like, oh, this is why I spent, you know, a lot of money on domain names. Uh, and then someone republished it on Entrepreneur or Forbes, like talking about the context of, hey man, we don't talk about this, but domain names can be pretty damn powerful. So that's how I got into domain names and that's how I kind of got out of domain names because it was not, uh, it was not the life for me at all. No, super cool. It sounds like it gave you a foundation for what is the life for you. Um, I, I totally have to ask. So you've been very open that you've changed your name, um, yeah. when you were just starting out and, um, you also bought SJO when you were just starting out. I just think every domainer, you know how we think, um, what came first? Did you pick your name <laughs> based on available TLD? No, okay, so some context. Uh, I've been at this name. now for 19 years. Uh, I legally changed my name, let's say nine years ago. Uh, being the dunce that I am, uh, I failed the paperwork three times in a row. Uh, the first time I hadn't filled it out correctly. The second time they're like, sir, you haven't signed this. I was like, oops. The third time they're like, sir, your credit card is expired because I taken so many times to get the paperwork done. Right. So it took me like a year to get the name change in the first place. Uh, but no SJO actually has no bearing on my name. Uh, I just bought it cause it's a three letter domain name and it's much easier to remember. And at the end of the day, also the reason I acquired uh, domains for stuff like this is, 
if it fails, I can still pretty much liquidate it for 75% of the purchase price. So yeah. even if I lose money, there's still money. It's like rest of development. There's always money in the banana stand. Uh, I could still examine.com and lose some money, but I'll still suddenly have cash in my hand. Same thing with SGO, yeah. same thing with everything else. So yeah, the SGO was actually, I only bought it like three or four years ago. Um, it just so happened that the S and O line up and everyone thinks I have a middle name that starts with J, but I have no middle name. It, hey, it you can change just, that uh, if you want. Yeah, I could actually. You know what? I could. <laughs> uh, we, anyway, there, there, there's a lot of possible J's that, that come in there, but it was pure happenstance and, and coincidence. There was literally no... Uh, uh, just couldn't resist. I did... Um, I've mentioned this before, I'm sure, but I did know um, a gentleman who named his son, his middle name is Google, so that he could buy domain names with Google in them. So, wow. I mean, domainers are committed <laughs> people. Committed. Um, so, I just didn't I don't know. know it's like a mix of impressment and also like, what the hell is currently going on in my head? Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Uh, now, Drew, I was surprised right now that you agreed when um, Saul said, you know, if the project doesn't work out, he can always liquidate the domain for 75% of the value. I thought you would jump in and say, nah, for I mean, domains are generally, I mean, you like to say no asset class has appreciated more in the last 20 years than domain names. Um, so I challenge you to challenge him. <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I do agree. I mean, I don't remember exactly what Saul paid. Um, it was roughly thirty, roughly thirty thousand for SJL. Yeah, so so he's pretty much spot on. I mean, I think you know the liquid value right now of a threeletter.com with an O on the end is, you know, in the in the area of twenty three to twenty five thousand um, dollars, and so he's pretty much spot on. Um, uh, you know, he'd lose fifteen to twenty percent if he had to sell it right now at wholesale cost, you know, fire sale. Yeah, um, that's the key part. If I had to sell it, that's the idea. Exactly. Not that I would sell it, but if yeah. I had to get 10, 20,000 in cash, I have a little asset that I can get rid of instantly. I, I, absolutely. There, yeah. There's a degree of liquidity to these things. And so, um, um, you know, there, with domain names, there's always a, there, there's a graph and, and, you know, there's time and there's value. And so the longer your time preference, the higher the, um, the higher the likelihood of a above liquidity value sale. Um, no, what I was mostly agreeing with, uh, when Saul made that statement was the fact that, um, what all startup founders should recognize, uh, particularly startup founders is that domain names put a backstop on their investors investment. And even though it may be a very small fraction of the overall investment, it still gives people a warm and fuzzy feeling that they're investing into something that has an asset on the balance sheet. It's not, you know, a couple of kids with cool idea, big dreams, and, you know, a pipeline. They've got infrastructure. And that infrastructure is, you know, this valuable domain name that's got a liquid value that when the sh if the shit hits the fan, They've got an asset which can be sold. They've got an asset they can put a lien against. They've got an asset that puts a backstop on that investment. And it shows investors that that entrepreneur um, understands that the most important investment they're going to make in their business is their brand, if it's, particularly if it's consumer-facing. And secondly, that they're putting skin in the game, not just their time because in uh, – you know, from an investor, a VC standpoint, um, 
if you're going that route, um, VCs aren't going to put a high value on your time, um, but they are going to put a high value on what you are putting in. And so that can be execution and output, but also have you put skin in the game, meaning what cash have you taken out of your pocket to put in this? Because if you've taken out cash out of your pocket to invest into this business, then it tells them that you know, you've got a lot to lose. And the more somebody's got to lose, the harder they're gonna work to not lose it. Um, sure. That aligns investors' interests with founders' interests. Um, uh, so the one I, thing I, uh, I'd like to add is, uh, a domain name is important, but it's not the only thing. And this is kind of where the schism happens. And it's kind of funny, in tech space, they're like, ma, it's $10, I'll buy a domain. In the domain space, is like, you must buy the world's greatest domain name possible. Uh, to me, it's like if you have a hundred thousand dollar budget, you can spend 10k on a domain. You can spend 15k. You'll get a pretty solid domain. But that's what domainers like. Not eighty thousand dollars on a domain, whereas tech guys again are like, ah, not ten dollars. So I think this is part of the schism. Is like you can find solid domain names, three letter domain names, or 20, 25, 30, 40 even, uh, and you don't need to use your entire damn budget. Use some of it, just don't blow the entire thing. And and like the, I say that all the time for exam, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? It was I think 42k uh, was how much exam and cost. But we had another 100K to spend on like the actual development of the company, not just, ooh, okay, we have examine.com. Shit, we ran out of money. <laughs> let's see, uh, let's take a job at Starbucks to, to cover our costs. So uh, I think that's yeah. the important factor that a lot of people don't always uh, follow through correctly on that. So at first I think I also there's a, caveat, there's a caveat to that, which is um, it depends on the scope of your business and what your ambitions are. So if you're trying to build the next Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, then I think it is really critical to get the absolute best version.com domain name at the earliest possible timing um, you can. Um, and if you're not trying to build that, you're trying to build a, you know, a, a, a SaaS product, you're trying to build a, a, a niche community, you're trying to build you know, something that where you already know going into it that you know, even if I'm not saying the scope is limited to something small, but the scope is limited to, I know who my audience is going to be and it's never going to be more than that. Well, then I think it's a far less important to, you know, sort of, I don't want to say again, nobody should go all in on their budget because then how do you build the business? But um, the ratio of how much of your budget should go towards your domain, I think depends on who your audience is. Is it consumer facing? Um, how much of your traffic is going to be coming directly to your website versus through other channels, you know, how are you going to achieve distribution? And, you know, like, so one of the questions I want to ask you before mm. very specifically is um, if you were Saul's health tips.com or Kamal's health tips.com or, you know, even health tips.com um, how can you give us, can you, can you make a tangible give us a tangible metric about how much harder it would have been to get those expert opinions um, without paying for them. How much harder would it be to, you know, um, make those contacts that you've made to get those links that you've gotten to get, you know, you brought it up that it's been, a, it's a lot easier to get a journal journalist to um, link back to you or, utilize your information as opposed to another website yeah. because of the exam. Yeah. Especially domain. at the beginning, because what you just said, you spent 30% of your startup capital on examine.com on your domain name. 
So it must have been pretty important to you. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it's obviously impossible to quantify. Uh, I am obsessed with probability. I'm obsessed with heuristics. So having a better domain name is just a, a heuristic that signals you're serious, right? So Kamal's health mm -hmm. tips is obviously far inferior to healthtips.com, which is relatively quite inferior to uh, something like examine.com. Part of it is uh, also examine.com. You kind of flex with it because you're like, I'm not just focused on one little thing. We are a generic yeah. name and this is what we're choosing to examine at the moment in time. Um, so yeah, it, it's obviously impossible to, to, uh, quantify, but I mean, I always just say like stick your, you know, be pretend like you're someone else. And how would you respond? If I'm a journalist and someone emailed me and like, hi, I'm from Kamal's I'm like, who's this tool? But if someone was like, hi, I'm yeah. from examine.com, I'm like, whoa, what's this organization, right? And I might find out that examine.com is nothing. I might find out Kamal's healthtips.com is a huge organization. I might dig into it. Um, but that's, it's just another signal to say, hey, I'm serious versus, you know, I'm just kind of lounging around. Uh, the, the, on the internet, especially, there's a huge uh, issue with professionalism in a way. Uh, most people I find are very, very amateur. So having a nice domain name is a very clear signal off the bat. It's like a first impression of like, I'm a professional. At which point then, you know, you may go to the website and you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, obviously, there's no 100%, uh, but it, it definitely makes life easier. Yeah. Uh, and, and more yeah. importantly, almost, it makes your life easier down the road. It's, it's like, you know, calling... Uh, building your brand around your personal brand or your organizational brand. It's easier to do personal brand off the top. It's easier to kind of do, let's say, uh, in a way, a non-generic. But down the road, when you have like 30 employees or 40 employees or whatever, it's much easier to be a generic domain name. Just like it's much easier to be not about you versus uh, the organization. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned um, your dreams about New Zealand. Um, and your New Zealand domain investments, um, because I just interviewed a gentleman, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, Adrian McCowan, McKean, I don't remember, um, but Adrian was really fascinating guy, and he is a native New Zealander, and he um, bought makeup.co.nz um, as a, the, primary brand for a business that he and his his business partner um founded and co-run and he said a key so new zealand has all these interesting um different uses of their cctld than a lot of other countries do and they also did you know amazon doesn't even yeah this might affect your desire to retire there amazon doesn't deliver to New Zealand. Like today, it's 2018. Interesting. They don't deliver. To New Zealand is really tiny. I don't, I don't think people appreciate. If I was yeah. to like, I think the population, the population of New Zealand is smaller than the population of Toronto. Like New wow. Is yeah, I believe really, it. Really so he said because of his domain name, he got key, um, key deals with suppliers that he could call and leave a message and say, hey, it's Adrian with makeup.co.nz and they'd call him back. They're willing to do a deal with him and they're basically, they are the makeup supplier for the country. Um, so with, um, so, so he was able to put some kind of tangible value um, on what the, do, how the domain developed key partnerships for him. Um, do you, do you have, can you beat that story? <laughs> like, do Unfortunately, you have a story like that with it, when you were starting out with examine? Or was, or even if you don't have some fascinating story, was that your general experience? 
Uh, there was definitely times when people were surprised that we owned examine.com for sure, especially with the website uh, back then looked super garbage. I just threw something up. Um, there was definitely people that were a little bit confused, not confused. They, were, they would know, they would mention like, Oh, like that's a really great domain name. How'd you get it? Um, I still get that question all the time, which is why I eventually wrote about why I've spent so much money on uh, domain names. <laughs> uh, definitely. It is something uh, people notice uh, in a way. I think that's fascinating now is that because we're so established, it's no longer that much of an issue. Um, and also because we have a team, right? When you, if I emailed you examine.com, like, yeah, it's my personal domain name. You like what is going on with you? Right. But if I'm like, Oh yeah, we have 30 people working on examine.com. Like, yeah, okay. It sounds like a company. So it's funny in a way it's actually kind of gone down or at least the, the surprise has gone down. Uh, but I'm sure the, the, the brand itself is, I mean, you know, you're a strong brand when the top searches you're getting for your, uh, from Google are your own brand name, examine and examine.com. Um, and it's not like we don't rank high for a lot of things and get a lot of traffic for a lot of keywords. So, um, I think that's how we know that, uh, we made the right move uh, at the end of the day. That's, that's a great, um, uh, I think goal for a lot of businesses and branding um, when they're just, they already know your brand. They're just trying to find you. That's a big deal. That's, that's for sure. Deal. I'm going to be like, I have to be honest. I'll be a little bit cynical here. I think the domain name industry overrates domain names. And I think everyone else totally underrates domain names. It's an element. Is it the magic sauce? Absolutely not. Is it something that can give you a leg up? Absolutely. Especially depending on your industry, right? Some industries, domain names don't matter as much. Um, if you're going pure, pure consumer play, then it doesn't matter as much. But when I say as much, it depends, right? If you're selling mattresses and you have mattress.com, that's cool. But if you have something like launchpad.com, that's also cool, which might be much cheaper than mattress.com. But you know, get your mattress.com might not be the right one. Um, it's, it's all about the balance. Um, and I think a lot, and it's funny, like I've, I've talked to uh, domainers for 15 years now talking about how they're going to build websites. And when they tried like, Oh shit, this is a lot harder than I thought. It's one of those <laughs> things, right? Where when you actually try to build it out, it's one of those, you have to experience it. When you actually try to build it out, you're like, Oh, okay. The domain name gives me a leg up, but it's not going to solve my business, right? It's not going to make everyone flock to me and be like, Oh my God, shut up and take my money. So there's that element of like, yeah, it's super important, especially if you're not in the domain name industry, you're missing out on a lot of things. Um, fun fact, I don't know if they still do this. Y Combinator, which is one of the most well-known incubators. Um, what they used to have their, uh, um, what they call cohorts do is literally look up a thousand domain names and then pick one of the easier sounding domain names. That's how Stripe happened. I think that's how eventually mint happened. Um, just to make sure that it's easy to remember. So there are people who appreciate the value of domains. It's just sometimes I find domainers definitely vastly overstated because, um, you need that experience of actually trying to build an organization and you're like, Oh shit, makes life easier, but doesn't solve which is oftentimes the dichotomous uh, relationship right there. Yeah, I think you're right. There's like kind of a bit of a polarization in opinions. And I think as the market matures and as, I mean, domain names are still so um, new in terms of concepts of, of marketing, branding, um, that I think it takes people like you who are successful and respected in the entrepreneurial field and yet balanced in knowing that it was worth it to invest 30% of your capital in a domain name, but not everyone should do quite that amount. 
um, you know, it, it really takes that. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, you've spoken about your social responsibility, like you're not huge on building your brand and running around uh, your personal brand and running around with your, um, you know, ego cape. Um, but you're here and thank you for that. Um, what, so I've seen over time, we've tried to acquire businesses or domains that people have set up on their personal domain name. Like my name is Tess Diaz, TessDiaz.com. Imagine if it was that instead of DomainSherpa.com. Like I've seen that over the years and it's a train wreck. Um, but you've really been smart and attentive about that um, from the beginning. Um, how did you see that and how do you envision those coexisting and supporting each other but not bleeding boundaries into each other? Uh, so, I, I mean, there was no master plan behind it, to be honest. I was just a shy kid and I was like, I don't want people to know who I am. So it just worked out really well for me that uh, building the non-personal brand. Uh, the other side of the personal brand that's interesting to me is um, a lot of these personal brands are relatively fleeting right? They might be hot today. They might be hot in a couple of years, but then no one remembers them in five years. Um, and like, if we actually take a step back and look at most personal brands, a lot of them are built around gimmicks. Uh, remember there's this guy in fitness, uh, who blew up he had like a million Instagram followers because he would be eating while working out. There's a video of him like lifting an overhead, pressing a barbell and like someone's feeding him a, a turkey leg. Nobody remembers him anymore, right? Because it gets boring. It's, it's insidious. It's, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. insane. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and so to me, like the, the personal brand then becomes an extension to me, a personal brand is what are my opinions and thoughts? Um, if you see me on social media, I've only ever shared one picture of my girlfriend. I've never shared a picture of my dog. I've had him for over nine years now to me, a personal brand is like, these are the things going on in my head. And I will say, I got like the nicest comment ever the other day. Uh, I don't even, I wrote something about like how my dog, like my dog doesn't care about me, but when I've got food, he's like my best friend. And the guy comments, he's like, man, sometimes you say like the smartest things that I would have never thought of. And then sometimes you, you post stuff that people would when they were brand new to Twitter. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> that legitimately in a great way matters because what's happening is. Uh, there's this weird sense of always being brilliant, always being on, always being full of knowledge and like being the smartest person in the room or world or whatever. Um, and so what I found like in terms of how does the personal brand possibly help the main brand, the personal brand gives a level of humanity to who I am. It gives a personal uh, level of humanity to all the employees around examine.com. Uh, Kamal, for example, talks a fair amount of politics. Um, I'll talk about a fair pick amount of just the most random stuff. Um, I spent like a week talking about like dick pics about like, why is there no AI that recognizes it? So if you get a dick pic, it like censors it out. And then I was like, man. And then oh, separately, I was on, like, we, we leased out new, new, uh, N U dot D E. So <laughs> the two letter dot D E domain, but it spells nude, right? Domain. Hat. That, that, that we is leased beautiful. it out to a Berkeley, um, uh, I think it was, they were Berkeley or two Chinese kids really smart from Berkeley who had built an AI, they, they built a program called Nude for your phone, you download it, and it artificially had an, it had an AI that would scan all of your, your new pictures that you received by Messenger, WhatsApp, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter how you received it or if you took it yourself, and it would automatically grab any, you know, dick pics or whatever nude pictures, um, and it would grab them and put them in your vault, and you'd have the nude vault. Ah, and I so see. so that was an encrypted vault, 
so that like nobody could, you know, get a hold of your phone or hack your phone or you're like, oh, here, mom, look at my pictures from my, uh, you know, my. Uh, it is terrifying to hand your phone to someone else. And it's like, oh, my God, what were you doing topless on stage? You know, so um, it was I thought it was pretty clever. Um, and we gave them a like a lease to own deal and we were going to get some equity in the business. But they ended up defaulting. And I, basically, they were like crazy smart both going into like the aerospace industry right this was like a, a, a project that they thought of this this side. actually happens it's funny you mentioned this happens so much in entrepreneurship where there's like brilliant people but people forget yeah. like a business is really simple there's a difference between simple and easy right like losing weight is simple it's yeah. not it's just not easy uh <laughs> yeah building a business a business solves a problem that's it. You need to solve something's problem. But really the, the, the key part that I always find interesting about businesses is you need to solve the actual problem. Um, I'm going to segue in a second, but I'm, I'm doing this. Uh, there's a company called Precision Nutrition here in Toronto. They're worth a couple hundred million dollars. Uh, they do nutrition coaching. Um, and uh, someone on some forum commented saying like, hey, you know, would you recommend Precision Nutrition? Uh, and this person responded being like, I would not. Um, I did their program. Um, I didn't reach, I, my coach, I felt like my coach didn't really care about me. I didn't bother reaching out to the coach, but I feel like she would not have responded anyway. I did lose 30 pounds, but I would not recommend precision nutrition. Now, if you are a business and you read this and you're like, what the hell is wrong with you woman? You lost 30 pounds. Like we literally did exactly what we promised you. But the reality of it is that people are not losing weight for the sake of losing weight. The actual problem is people feel disconnected. They feel non-confident. They don't feel like they're part of a community. Yeah. And so the organization actually doubled down on the coaching component of like reaching out, how are you doing, texting, messaging. So they built software just to build up the coaching component. And it worked. And it, obviously they did really, really well. So I just wanted like the random tangent, like people, like these smart people, I come across it all the time. Like oh, I've got this idea, I've got that idea. I'm like, that's great. But are you actually solving a big problem? Yeah, maybe, you know, handing your, your phone to your mom is, is a problem, but are you paying a subscription service to just make yeah. sure the one out of three yeah. months that you hand your phone over to someone else or or you can just not hand it over to them and the problem is solved or I think like yeah. there's, you know what I'm saying like this is one of the funny things about entrepreneurship is like it's not really about uh, IQ and I hate IQ and EQ and all that kind of stuff but it is definitely more on the EQ side of like what's really frustrating what makes you want to punch someone like or hit kick a wall or something solve that problem and my god people will pay you money because they really don't want to punch someone in the face um yeah so that was a bit of a, of a, a total but going back to the original question about personal brand and, and and corporate brand what happens then is people associate components of the personal brand to your corporate brand usually in a good way um, if you, if you aren't, let's say offensive for the sake of being offensive, like I talk about politics, but I talk about it from my perspective as, as an immigrant, as a millennial, which I technically am. And by not sounding like uh, a screeching, you know, as they show both extremes, like they're always yelling and screaming at each other, uh, by showing it from that perspective, people are like, okay, if he can be rational in this area and I might not even agree with him, but he doesn't seem like a bad person you know what, maybe the company's not so bad after all. So the two can definitely work in tangent, but there's definitely a problem where if you are the brand, like Drew kind of has suffered from uh, media options, people expect to deal with you. They want to deal with the brand, the person behind the brand. So when you start being like, hey, this is my coach, or hey, talk to this person, they're like, fuck you. Like, I don't want to talk to them. I want to talk to you. You're the brand. Why am I getting this other person? Yeah. So that's like that big headache um, 
and why inadvertently uh, it worked out really well for me because no one comes to me expecting me to solve um, their problems because I'm not that person for them. Yeah. Um, you know, you've really developed such smart business habits, which is especially surprising because you were so young with your success in the first place that a lot of times, you know, things just pile up on each other or go the way they go. Um, and I was listening uh, a little extra attentively when recently you were talking about your goal to grow in your public speaking skills. Right. Um, You've talked about your use of a weekly business planner. Um, what are the top organizational tools or um, resources you would recommend to entrepreneurs today? Uh, the number Guys, one. Sorry, I have to hold on. Sorry, I have to pee so bad that we have to make just a quick pause. This will be edited, so don't worry. Three okay. seconds, I'll be right back. Sorry, okay. I, I had. To okay, well, you gotta go. You gotta go. I am going to use those three, three seconds very well. So Saul, I never had any intention of being in media, of um, hosting a show. I really believe in um, educational access for domainers. I believe mm -hmm. the domain community can't grow without it mm -hmm. um, and that it needs to grow to be more mature, to present its business and become a standard part of marketing and branding decisions. For and sure. that's not going to happen the way it is, you know, currently with the $10 versus every right. penny you have mentality. Um, so I've been thrust into public speaking and I want to know, um, give me, give, give me everything you got books. I should read, um, to, uh, con uh, you said you went to a conference, but you didn't say what conference. Yeah. I, I'm always a little, okay. Uh, so first of all, a disclaimer, I have to leave by roughly 11 o'clock. So okay, we'll be done. nine ish minutes. Uh, okay. Two things. One, I have an article I wrote on SEO about public speaking. It is actually my most popular article. On uh, SEO.com? On SJO.com about uh, oh, wow. public speaking. Um, so if you look for that, you'll find it really, really easily. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, I would recommend reading the works of Michael Port. P-O-R-T. Um, okay. The book somewhere on the ground. Um, his, so he was a theater actor. His wife was a theater actress. They both went into public speaking. And there, and I went, I went to the three day event in early October and I went to no other events this year, uh, but okay. I went more as a student, right. To learn. And that was a, an event put on by Michael Port. Yeah. By Michael and Amy Port. Uh, okay. but what they do, what they do. And I think this was an important mental switch that I considered is you're not speaking, you're putting out a performance. Um, and that was the most important new element that I've added is that, uh, you know, you are not you, you're a stage version of you. It's an ele it's obviously yeah. based on you, but consider it to be a Hollywood movie based on a true story of your life. That's the person that's speaking <laughs> at the, uh, at, on the stage. So, uh, yeah, but read my, uh, the article that I, I, okay. I wrote would definitely help. Um, and then their book is, uh, the first like third is like on mindset. If you don't have a problem with that, then I would skip over it. I didn't help me much. Uh, but the other two thirds are definitely very much about structure and, and uh, they call it blocking, like moving with purpose. Um, I think they have a few videos online. I would highly recommend okay. you look at it uh, because they're really, really good at, um, at what they do. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Saul. So, um, Drew, um, Saul has a hard stop in seven minutes. 
Um, yeah. I forget what the last question I asked was, so we can go back to it. Uh, it was about oh. the domain name, uh, people uh, in domain spaces, kind of like. Or organizational tools, and not just organizational, yeah. but, yeah. you know, whatever. Be better at business tools. That's what I'm looking sure. for. Okay. So the first thing I would recommend people that always blows my mind that they don't do it, use a calendar. Like I'm looking at my calendar right now and like yellow is if I'm on a podcast, red is if I meet somebody in, uh, in person, purple is personal stuff. Uh, and then blue is any kind of like meeting or anything that I've set aside. So I look at my calendar and I instantly know I need to be doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G throughout the day. The problem with being an entrepreneur domain or whatever is that you have so much unstructured time that it almost becomes overwhelming as to what the hell do you do? Right? Like I can sit here and I have like 30 tabs open. I'm used to it now, thankfully, but like you sit here and I'm like, Oh shit, I have 30 tabs to go through. Which one do I use? Right? Which one do I prioritize? So that's yeah. the first thing. Use your calendar. I don't have any apps on my phone. I have the Google calendar app on my phone. Use that thing. Uh, if you have an EA, uh, every, uh, like 7 PM every day, my EA emails being like, these are the things you have tomorrow. Even though I have the calendar just by habit, I'll see that email. I'll read it. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. I got to do this. Oh, don't let me forget about that. Um, the second thing I would recommend, I personally like it a lot. Uh, it's called the productivity planner. Uh, you may have heard of the five minute journal. Um, Tim Ferriss, all these guys I talk about all the time, same company behind it. Basically what it is, is what are your f uh, five most important tasks for the day? How much time are, uh, will each task take? Uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, Pomodoro's, the 25 minutes on 20 or five minutes mm -hmm. off. Uh, how many of those blocks will it take? Assign the number of blocks, prioritize, do those blocks. Um, I, again, going back to the calendar thing, the biggest problem people have is they don't know how to uh, work with their time. The third thing that I would highly recommend, third, and we'll add a fourth actually, uh, is uh, I generally don't do any meetings except on Fridays. Uh, almost all of my meetings, podcasts, everything is on Friday. And the reason I do that is then I have chunks of time I can set aside on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for two hours at a time if I need to and not be like, oh, I'm about to be interrupted by this. Oh, I'm about yeah. to be interrupted by that. So that is a big, the biggest problem is that we think we're multitasking geniuses, but we're not. That's how evolutionary we're not built for that. There is a, a context switch basically that slows your brain. And obviously I'm simplifying it. That slows your brain down when you go from one task to another. So if I was supposed to start writing after this, it will still take me like 10 minutes to kind of really get into it, right? You can use triggers, you can use uh, music, you can use sounds, you can use physical patterns that help you get into the mindset and the mood of it. Um, that's a little bit more advanced. Um, but having these chunks of time set aside to work on what you need to work on uh, is super key. Uh, and the last thing I would actually recommend is go meet your peers. Uh, I'm a huge believer in hosting dinners, coffees, all that kind of stuff. On Fridays, um, I'll be like, hey, Tess, let's hang out at 12. And I'm like, Drew, let's hang out at 1230. And the idea is not that you leave at 1230. The idea is you guys meet each other. And what's awesome about that is then other serendipitous conversations happen. We we're talking about breath and depth earlier that I would have never thought about. And I just sit there and be like, cool. Like I'm listening to these two people talk about things I normally would have never been exposed to. Uh, at most, the most I've ever had at one uh, coffee was six people. One guy was there for three hours. He was just like, this is amazing. I'm meeting all these people I would have never, ever met. Um, so I spend a lot of time and effort meeting with other people. I have a dinner tonight. I have a dinner I'm hosting. Uh, tomorrow, there's a lunch I'm attending, a Jeffersonian lunch on Friday. And what's amazing is once you start attending these things and like you build up a reputation, uh, people will start inviting you. 
like the one on uh, Friday, the guy's flying in from Switzerland. Uh, it's uh, with a few New York Times bestsellers. And there's me, who has no interest in writing a book. I'm like, cool, why not? Uh, but the recommendation came highly, and thus I got in. So I would definitely highly recommend meeting other people because not only for new exposure ideas, but to be able to say, man, how do you structure your time? Man, my employees yeah. give me a headache. Man, I need to hire somebody. How would you do it? Ah, like I've told so many people in the last few months just about how I hired my EA. And it's like, oh man, I never thought about this or this. And you're like, cool, done. Um, so that those would be my four. I mean, obviously we could do 10,000, but uh, I would say those are my uh, relatively atypical four um, that I think everyone who's an entrepreneur, a domain or whatever uh, person should uh, pursue. Thank you, Saul. I mean, your time is invaluable to us and to uh, you, I'm sure, as well. What I really heard more than anything else is relationships, science, and organization. Um, you have structure, structure, uh, or part of the organization. You, we're, we're, we're humans are habit uh, creatures of habit, right? So I know that at 9 a.m. on Monday, for example, I have a, a, t a talk with my team, and on Friday, I have a talk with my team. I know what's expected, so it also eases the burden of my brain, being like, "Hey, do I have anything today? Do I have anything tomorrow? What's mm -hmm. going on? Everything's there. Everything is already set aside. I already know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the day." So. You know, I can just focus and do it instead of worrying about, is this the right thing? Is this what I need to do? Should I not do this? Should I need to change things? Bam, makes my life easy. Yeah, super cool. Until you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. That's, uh, that is, if you want an X factor in life. Mic drop. Mic yeah, drop. That's, you got to, I don't even oh, yeah. know if even 12 years is enough before you can regain any sense of structure. But oh my God. That's <laughs> so Saul, that I hope, I'm so glad you came on. I hope that um, we hear more about what you did with uh, pet.org once you've done it. I hope that's what can be our focus next time around. For sure. Um, we didn't even talk about the cookies or charity stuff. Wow. Okay. I know. It's yeah, on well, my but, list, but I know you got to go. Um, you want, you have but, Give us, give us a shout out. I mean, okay. talk, talk to us. I mean, I, I, I've been invited to this cookie off. I've been dying to go. Somehow it's just always been at like some super inconvenient time where I couldn't do it. When's your um, next last cookie off? What in New York? This guy I, I think I left New York for cookies first. Okay. Of all, but. Uh, so, uh, ooh, such a long story. But the, the 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 real lesson here, to be honest, is the worst thing to ask someone when you want to like hang out with them is like, I want to pick your brain. It's, it's horrendous. You're like, why would I like, how is this working out for me? Yeah. So it is on me now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Like, this is a headache. Come brilliant. What I started telling people was, Hey, I want, I'm going to, and I would like, and you kind of own it. Right. I, I said, I'm going to bribe you with the best chocolate chip cookies in Toronto. <laughs> so one, I showed that it was like, obviously an incongruent relationship. I was asking more for a favor than other way. But I also made it interesting. We're like, ooh, cookies. Like, who the hell says they've got the best chocolate cookies? I want to try these. So that's how it originally started. Uh, and then, ooh, there's such a, let me, let me think of, okay, simplified anyway, version. Yeah, I'll put a link in where people can Just read on SJO where you I'll, talk. I'll set aside two minutes because my excitement's coming through. I want people to realize how excited <laughs> right. I am about this. Uh, my friends and I, we all love food. So we started doing these, like, food offs. Just, like, you know, hanging out, just talking trash. Um, and we did one with cookies and I posted it online and people started saying, Hey, I can make better cookies. 
And uh, if there's one thing that I am is I'm a doer, not a talker. So I was like, all right, prove it to me. Send me your cookies. So one person sent me cookies in the mail. Then another person sent me cookies. And over a span of 18 months, I had over 200 people send me primarily chocolate cookies in the mail. Uh, I got <laughs> pies. I got jams. I got bread. I got the most was a weird one. I got moose muffins. They were like meat muffins. I don't know what the hell that was. It was I got some weird, weird well, That's because you're in Canada, eh? Yeah, it, she was very Canadian. She's like up north or something. I was like, all right, why not? Um, and then what happened was when the next year started rolling by, people were like, hey, man, uh, are you going to do another cookie off? I want to be invited. Uh, for the record, like we did other, we did other food off. We did pie palooza. We did mac and cheese, which, by the way, I won. Uh, we did a lot of other sure. ones. Cookies. Well, if you're going on the record, we're going on the record. Drew and I, for the record, would like to be invited to your next cookie off. We can, we can figure that. No, we, <laughs> we'll make it happen. Uh, and so when people started saying, "We are you gonna do another one?" I'd like to be invited. I was like, "Cool." I'm always about like let's push the edges, right? Like domain names, whatever. Let's try something new. So I decided to make it a charity event. Um, I was like, oh, 100 people. Like, I'd never done an event in my life. This is, a, this is an opportunity to learn something new. So mm -hmm. we found an event space. We figured out how to do it. It was a bit of a disaster, but it worked out really well because we had 26 different kinds of chocolate cookies, all made by professionals. Uh, we sold tickets at $8.50, um, and we raised $850 for charity. Basically, it was like 100% goes to the charity. I will cover the expenses. Uh, and then people saw it, and they loved it. And so we did sausages for five months after that and we jacked up the price to $85 and this time 20 people flew in. Uh, and then literally one year ago, uh, we did one in New York and we raised the price to $250 and we had 30 people fly in. Um, and we did the most recent one in July of this year uh, and we raised the price up even more and we raised over $100,000 off of only 100 tickets. We had 70 people fly in from as far as Malaysia, Australia, Singapore, Japan, ostensibly for a two, three hour event. But the real value, and it goes back to our original conversation about experiences and lifestyle, I gave people an opportunity for a few things. One, this wasn't public. This was purely curated. So everyone you met there, you knew I knew, and I invited them. I didn't just like put out a link, meh. I was like, you there, you should come. And the way, by the way, I invited almost everybody was I sent a Facebook message and be like, you there, come to my thing. Here's a, here's a buy now, like, I'll see you then. And that was literally it. And, and like, obviously, yeah. you know, I, I did it one by one. I didn't just like spam them. Uh, but people knew but that. But cookies. Exactly. The other thing was, it's experiential, right? We had uh, 13 people bought two tickets, aka for their husband or wife. Uh, one of them actually brought his daughter because he wanted to expose his daughter to this random thing that's happening. And by giving them an experience that they wouldn't get anywhere else, people were willing to pay the money. Um, already yeah. for next year, we have maybe another 100 people who've asked to come. Um, I'm thinking about actually decreasing it to 90 people because what I started doing then is doing uh, introductions. I'd be like, hey, Drew, you, for example, Ganjapreneur, right? Mike Hart, uh, who's a, a medical MD in uh, Toronto now, actually, who's heavy into cannabis, that would be an easy and obvious introduction. And it wouldn't normally have happened to that level without me being without me being like you two need to meet each other so yeah. that was the real value and what's happened out of all of this again is like we built relationships i kept it me i didn't make it a big event there's no instagram for it there's no public page for it there's, i mean i upload some photos on my facebook account but that's it um and by having this one-on-one -on -one relationship um my ability to do things is huge and this will be my final example uh two fridays ago we had a little workshop powwow over online courses. So there were four people there. One of them was, I mentioned Wes Kyle, who was part of Alt MBA. 
One of them was Phil Caravaggio, who's co-founder of that precision nutrition company that I mentioned, mm-hmm. the nutrition one. They've coached over 100,000 people. One of them was Sonny Verma, who owns a uh, tutoring company called Tutor Bright. He has over 20,000 tutors alone. He's tutored a couple hundred thousand students. Wow. Uh, and wow. one of them was Danny uh, Aini, who has a company called Miracy and basically helps people develop online education and courses. He actually flew in from Montreal. I literally just emailed Danny. I'm like, yo, we're going to do a power of online courses. Smart people, are you in? He said, yes. Of the four people that came, only one person knew one other person and that was it. No one knew each other, but they came because I asked them to come. And when they came, we had this awesome three and a half hour conversation that went like this. Afterwards, we're like, man, we should have made this nine to five. And we just talked about not even necessarily the tactical side, really, but more the strate- not even strategic side, but more the philosophical side of how do you actually educate somebody, mm-hmm. right? And like one of the things I can share is there's the information dissemination, which is what everyone focuses on. But then there's the application component, which is a little bit here and there, maybe with uh, you know, worksheets or something like that. And then the third critical component is feedback on the application, right? So for example, what makes Alt MBA so powerful is you may have to go write a blog post, but then you have to go give feedback on five other people's blog posts. And then there's rules of engagement. You never give grading feedbacks. You only give positive feedback or constructive feedback. You're never negative, blah, blah, blah. You set these rules. That's where like the, the, the tactical and even strategic component comes in. Mm-hmm. But I learned more from that three hours of just sitting there and listening to them and talk. I was literally just taking notes. I had to resist the urge because, you know, my mouth yammers on. But I learned more in those three hours than I would have learned in like a month of reading online articles. Not to mention, I have yeah. access to them and I could ask them whatever I want. Um, and then just to make it sure it really settled, I took five pages of notes, shared it with everybody, obviously. Uh, and then I made a one-page document about like, these were the most important parts that we that I feel that like we talked about. And I shared it and it was like nicely made up and all that kind of stuff. And so now in the future, if I need to learn anything about online courses, done. It's so easy. I've got yeah. four brilliant. I actually have three other people being like, Hey man, you do this again. Tell me one of them is in LA. They'll fly all the way from LA for a three hour thing. Just because is it worth a thousand bucks for them? Absolutely. The value there is massive. So it goes back to that kind of stuff, right? Like I've set the parameters. I've set who I am. People know I'm not selling this one page document. I'm not selling access. I'm not selling anything. This is who I am. We'll have real conversations. We'll build something real. Um, and that's why I can do the cookie off and charge a thousand bucks a ticket because it's not really about, I mean, and that's what's awesome is it's about the charity. It's about the experience. We had 42, by the way, professional bakers at the, that was our max. We couldn't fit in anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it's about all the things combined. Sorry, I went on a mini rant right there. What, what a way to close it up. <laughs> that is a great yeah, way to right? close it out. Yeah. Hashtag cookies. <laughs> True. <laughs> Oh, very cool, Saul. Um, thank you for all your time, for your enthusiasm. Um, uh, very, very good for me to meet you, and I'm sure for you, Drew, to reconnect. So yeah, great, uh, great. Finally, get you, uh, get you back on here. Yeah, yeah for sure. It was, uh, this was this was all my I, man. Any, uh, it's like basically you told asked me questions. I just got to talk. So thank you for having me on because it was absolutely my uh, absolute pleasure. <laughs> Cool, man. All right. We'll see you next time. Awesome. All right. Sure. Bye, Salt. Bam. All right. Whew, shit. 11 away. Okay. I got to go. Okay. Thank you for your Have a good. And I'll send you guys the information on the cookie off when it's, when it's time to start. I'll add you to the list. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye, beautifuls. Ciao.